Destigmatize mental health. Barriers to seeking help for mental health problems. Have you ever experienced being judged for seeking mental health because you are a leader? Sometimes people with mental health concerns who are leaders can be misunderstood, ridiculed, discriminated against by colleagues, friends, and even family members. It may be unintentional or subtle because they assume you could be unstable or dangerous due to your mental health issue. Would you like to learn some tips on how to reduce the stigma of having mental health concerns as leaders and seeking care? Then stay tuned. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Wong, has some great pointers to overcome these barriers to seeking mental health. You're watching episode 84 of Happy and Healthy Mind Show. Thank you for joining. I'm sure you're going to learn a lot. Our guest, Dr. Stephanie J. Wong, PhD, is an Asian-American licensed clinical psychologist, entrepreneur, and founder, and host of award-winning Color of Success podcast. She works in private practice and with tech professionals, most of whom are also ethnic minorities. She also serves at the Military Veterans Hospital. And I'm your host, Dr. Rosina. I help corporate leaders prevent burnout. I'm an executive coach, speaker, author, in addition to being an integrative psychiatrist. I believe that your mind is the software that runs the hardware of your brain in your body. Therefore, I share practical tips for your mental fitness. Please consult your healthcare professional for medical advice. But if you find this content helpful, then join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering. And like and subscribe and share so more people can live their best life with health and happiness. And so let's learn from Dr. Wong. So Dr. Wong, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Wonderful. So tell me, how did this topic become important in your life? Well, it all started actually in high school. I, it's been, wow, a long time. I won't even tell you. But <laughs> you look young. You, you, you are that one of those people who have the blessing of uh, looking young, no matter how old you get. So <laughs> it's definitely Korean and Japanese skincare. Um, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> We actually, unfortunately, had a suicide when I was in high school, and we I went to a magnet school with where the population was around 90% Asian American, and there were no mental health resources offered, and so this tragedy just struck, and people were sad and kind of bewildered, and there really wasn't any discussion about it. So... You know, fast forward to when I was declaring my major in college, I, I said, okay, sign me up for pre-psychology. And I was one of those fortunate people that actually liked the major that I initially declared. And I finished my bachelor's and went straight into my PhD program. And now I've been in the field for over a decade. Uh, it, it has gone by so fast. So uh, really, my mission initially was to reduce the barriers, reduce the stigma, but really actually just have some resources available for my community. It all started with my community. So in your experience, what kind of barriers people face and, and once they overcome, what kind of benefit uh, they're able to get? There's a number of barriers. I think one of the biggest ones is the worry about loss of face 
in the community and around friends and family, at least in my immediate community. And just by not airing your dirty laundry out there and people think, oh, if you seek help, you must be crazy and you really don't have your life together. Also, you don't want to talk about how your family has been affected by some very difficult things. And so it really is swept under the rug. There may be some hesitancy about even talking about emotions and are there cultural and language barriers to even having those words to express yourself? There's a lot of intergenerational trauma, especially for immigrant families, and they were really in survival mode. Like, I just have to make sure I have a better life for my children and, and you know, pay the rent and have food on the table. I really do think mental health care is a luxury because now future generations have the ability and the resources to possibly come and talk to somebody. So, which could be very, very helpful given the current climate of Asian hate crimes and that are being committed as well as just the general stress and anxiety that we're all facing because we're still in the pandemic. And on top of the pandemic, man-made problems all over the world, whether it be war or school shootings or, you know, this is like world is full of tragedies. Um, Although there are lots of positive things also happening at the same time, but there's lots of lots of tragedies that are affecting a lot of people. And so it becomes more and more important to have these resources and take care of mental health before it becomes really either burdensome or results in disability or even death. Um, So when you see somebody who is uh, being able to overcome these barriers, how do how does their life change? Because the problems don't suddenly disappear because you have sought help. So how does the life change for people who are kind of at that borderline thinking, okay, well, if I even talk to somebody, that's not going to change my life situation. So how does that help them? Well, even if they're considering it, talking to even a friend or a family member that they trust and can kind of encourage them to go seek help and and make that extra jump is really important. And I don't see the first session as jumping right into looking at all of your problems. It's about relationship building, that professional and therapeutic trust. Just because you are the same ethnicity as your psychologist, your therapist, your psychiatrist, doesn't mean that it's going to be a good cultural fit. And so I really encourage people to shop around when they're looking for a therapist. Who do they feel comfortable being vulnerable with? Um, That's why I started the podcast, Color of Success, because I wanted to share some of the stories and the struggles of people who on the outside look very accomplished. And they are accomplished to all societal standards, but have gone through their own journeys of healing, of continuing to cope with discrimination, anxiety, depression, and still find some coping skills. So hopefully that can open up to say, hey, I'm not abnormal. I'm not crazy. I'm human. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not crazy. I'm human. Mm-hmm. And so many times we tend to forget, like, and especially people who are in leadership position or higher position, professionals, licensed professionals struggle so much with this feeling that if I accept or I seek help, that would mean that I'm not good enough to be in my position. Again, I like, let me just kind of ask you if you can share either your story or one of the client's story of 
how the life changed after they sought help or overcome these barriers about seeking mental health. This is actually an exclusive because I've never talked about my own journey, but I believe that every good therapist has a therapist. And my psychologist that I had worked with for many years, she she has moved on since then, but has seen me through multiple stressors in my life, including you know, positive stressors, which are having two children. And that can be a really stressful time when you are a professional and a female and you're in a work setting where you have to not only provide for your child, as in if you're fortunate to be able to pump milk, um, but go to your meetings, excel, move up the ladder if you so choose. And, and that can be really, really difficult on someone who is just trying to make it. I mean, you've been through medical school, you know how difficult it is and what a grind it is. And at the same time, I was exhausted. I was in my pre-doctoral internship when I first found out and I wasn't judged so nicely by some supervisors. And that really hurt a lot because I didn't want to tell anyone that I was pregnant, but at some point I felt like I had to disclose it to some people because you know, it, they were thinking that I was slacking off or something like that. Right. So I think it was really important to have that support and have someone to guide me through these situations and problem solve. What was really important about my therapist when I was quote unquote shopping around was that, um, they were culturally competent, culturally humble, and can understand what intersectionality looks like and still be very supportive. And so, so since going through that journey with my therapist for many years, I am able to provide and continue to provide exceptional patient care because I have taken care of myself and I prioritize myself. And I no longer feel like a woman should sacrifice her mental health just for her children, but that there is equality to it, that I also have to take care of myself to be able to take care of my children in the best way possible. Yeah, because sometimes people don't realize that when you don't take care of yourself, you are not being the, the best mother or best provider or best leader because, you know, you are resenting, you know, when people are stressed and burned out, they start developing resentment for the same, the very purpose that they feel is the purpose in their life or that's like really close to their heart but they start resenting if they are totally burnt out. Um, I'm glad that you're sharing that. So the life changed for you after you sought treatment and, and support for yourself, and then you are able to be the best version of yourself. Absolutely. And I, and I did want to give a shout out to my husband, though, because I think it's really important that I have never wanted to be in a stereotypical female Asian place. And my husband is a feminist, being a father, a girl dad, and I think that's really important that he does things that I I lack and vice versa. And he's the one to pick, do the pickups and drop offs and, you know, uh, do the cooking and that being okay for us and not feeling judged by other people. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So I, I think everybody knows that, you know, if you're having, if you're having, 
the stomach pain, then you go to the doctor and you seek tra treatment and you, you know, you get better. If you have a chronic problem like diabetes or heart problem, people don't have so much qualms of seeking help and, and getting better. But if, if people are suffering, um, they start feeling really depressed or their sleep is disturbed or they're, they're having anxiety or panic, there is this hesitancy of seeking help. Can you share some of the tips for people to overcome this barrier? And like, let's identify some barriers further. What kind of problems have you seen in your clients? What prevents them from seeking help or, or feeling this stigma and how they have overcome that? So do you have some tips and tools for our audience today? Well, like I mentioned, there's not only just the fear of being judged, but some people internalize it and think it's a personal failure that they can't manage their daily lives. And, you know, given all the technology that's going on right now, people that are fortunate to have jobs also feel like they have to be quote unquote on all the time. And by doing that, there are limited boundaries and they might not think that they're, they're struggling, but when one, a couple of indicators would be, pay attention to your mood. I mean, are you feeling worried all the time and having difficulty controlling it, difficulty getting out of bed, and also difficulty even connecting with people? I know that it's hard nowadays in the pandemic. And at the same time, if you have friends and you don't want to talk to them or your family members, then maybe it is time to seek some professional help. But I do think that there's barriers in the workplace because you're afraid that you might look be looked down on for your performance. And I parallel that to, you know, my, my concern when I was pregnant, right? It's, it's not a mental disability, but I, I think there's a lot of stressors there that I did not want to be judged, right? And now I think if more and more people in leadership can also encourage and normalize it, the easier it'll become. I 100% encourage my staff to use their sick time for mental health, mental health days. That is just so important. It is integrative health, as you mentioned, in terms of, yes, you might have a stomach ache, you might uh, hurt your leg or whatnot, but there's also that mental stress where you just need a day to decompress and turn off and disengage from technology. Yeah. So what, what if somebody does try to seek help and there is some repercussions at work? How, how can they deal with that? Well, I think connecting to supportive colleagues and supervisors. But the other part is, I mean, I wouldn't be against going to HR to, to talk about that. I mean, if someone, you don't, you wouldn't see someone, at least it would be a uh, not okay thing. If someone was like, I have to go to the ER for appendicitis, people wouldn't say, well, I'm going to write you up for that. Right. And so I think workplaces are becoming more open to creating policies and procedures, but also finding the strength to be able to, to speak out and seek the appropriate measures to protect your mental health. Because yeah. you have to show to work as a whole, and you cannot just leave your mental health or mind capacity outside your body's capacity to perform your mind is the necessary software that runs the hardware of your brain and your body. And if you're a worker whose work is decided by your capacity to think and make decisions, 
then you know that is the very thing that you need for work and seeking help doesn't mean that you need to be out of commission seeking help means that you want to prevent to be out of commission absolutely and so i think other problem that a lot of people face like you said that many times a therapist doesn't mean automatically that you would be aligned and so you said you recommended that people should shop around or look around to see who would be the right fit a lot of people number one they are really it's very hard for them to take the first step so once they do decide okay yes i should seek help then they start looking and then it is really hard to find people let alone finding the right person right and so a lot of people kind of give up in that phase um i had one, one time a patient came like you know um after 5 years of suffering from depression and i said like so what what took you so long and and he was he was saying that number one i was afraid that i would be judged number two i could not find the right person yes. and so it was just too overwhelming to find the right person so what do you suggest for people going through that difficulty it definitely is a process i will admit even as a provider that it is really really hard right now and people have are starting to acknowledge that the system is broken and so there's all these different interventions that are happening but even that is overwhelming right like which platform do you go on and so first i would start off to anyone that you trust did they have any resources or um you know uh people that they recommend to talk to. And if that's not the case, I would definitely start, you know, on psychology today or certain platforms of specialized providers. So, example, there are a couple Asian American platforms that you can start searching by state and there are some Instagram accounts or providers that, that do give out resources. If you feel too afraid to start with an individual therapist, maybe start with a psychoeducational group meaning more of a teaching kind of group right to learn a few skills to learn more about what anxiety and depression or PTSD is so that you can feel more comfortable in seeking help and maybe even through that you can find some providers that may be a good fit but most people start with their insurance provider and that could be a good way many times therefore they try to put you in groups and things like that so again though those would also be good springboards to find someone in the community that they would recommend a good question that i always have is if you had a family member that was struggling with this who would you refer um this refer them to and that kind of gives more of an indicator of who they trust to take care of this very sensitive health issue That's wonderful asking the question if someone in your family was suffering whom would you refer to and so like what questions to ask if you do find let's say um three options how to decide who's the right therapist well one would be do you have experience with x you know of course things will be on earth in the session that you may not have even thought about but i think for example do you have experience working with bipoc clients and what does your number 2 is like what is your approach look like and 3 um what do you uh see after like sharing a little bit more what do you see as kind of the treatment goals that uh we could work on together so i i think also there's this um 
qualitative feeling too of like, do you really feel the warmth and comfort in sharing? I parallel this to if someone goes to get a colonoscopy or go to the OBGYN and um, which we consider in society as a very private uh, personal topic, do you feel comfortable voicing your opinions about your, you know, your situation? So similar as well to your mental health provider, do you feel like you can be vulnerable with this person and build this relationship? Wonderful. So I just want to let the let the audience know that you have been gracious enough to share a gift that we are going to share about what questions to ask to find the right therapist. So people can find it in the resource section on our website, uh, happyandhealthymind.com. Before we wrap up our session, do you have any, can you share like one best advice for our audience today? Keep talking about mental health. The more and more we talk about it, the more destigmatized it'll be, the more normalized it will be. My hope, I hope in my lifetime is that it becomes routine, just like as you would go to a dentist twice a year annually, that you do have some mental health care and checkup because it, as you mentioned, it is one of the important parts of our health and really can um, help hinder us or keep us maintained. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And so if people want to read, learn more about all your work and learn more from you, how can they reach you? So my private practice website, drstephaniejwong.com and the color success podcast.com is our podcast page. And you can find so many different interviews with a range of guests, content experts, authors, actors, etc. from ethnic minority communities and AAPI communities. Um, as well as you can sign up for our email list. We're going to have an e-magazine coming out soon and it's going to be lifestyle including many mental health aspects and, and books as well. So we're really excited about it. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all, all your wisdom and passion with our audience. And so let me ask our audience if you like this show, please share with uh, other people so they could also benefit. And as I mentioned, you can find the resource is on our website, happyandhealthymind.com. But, and if you're like me, you know, you forget things and you want to get reminders for future programs and uh, links to resources, you can also text us the word joyful at number 38470. And we'd be happy to send you the links for resources so now it's time for special and for the special today i'll just share a small story of a client two years back cfo she was a, a chief financial officer of a big organization and she told me how work stress was getting to her she was feeling exhausted she was becoming resentful her productivity was going down and she was feeling like she was not being the best version of herself and then she was waking up in the middle of the night with a panic because all she could think about was i'll have to quit my job to to feel better but she didn't want it to do that because not only it meant the loss of income for her, but also loss of everything she had worked so hard for. The respect of her team and she felt like she was going to let them down. And today she has bounced back from her burnout, performing at her best. And not only did she stay at her job, but getting the promotions and raises she deserves. 
And it all started with a simple mind hack technique that I shared with her. And it led her led her to do further and further and come out of her, the phase that she was feeling. I'm going to be sharing that very technique and any others that are part of my strategy program in an upcoming webinar called One Minute Solutions to Prevent Burnout for Corporate Leaders. If you feel that it has to be your time, please join me on the webinar by clicking drrosina.com front slash webinar. Again, the address is drrosina.com front slash webinar, and you'll be able to sign up for the upcoming session on June 10th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. I hope to see you there. And until then, let me leave you with the message that every day is a new day, new opportunity to make a change. What is one thing you're going to do today to help yourself prevent unnecessary suffering and be the best version of yourself? Until next time, stay safe and healthy. Dr. Rosina, and thank you, Dr. Moore. Thank you so much.